0: Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Rob McConnell, and he'll be answering your questions on fly fishing Houston and southeastern Texas. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Rob a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill out the form on the right side of our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag About Fishing and hashtag Fishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now and let everybody know about the great information we'll be sharing here tonight. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the knowledge group Think doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Rob McConnell about fly fishing Houston and southeastern Texas. Whether you want to catch your first permit in Belize, tame a giant tarpon in the Florida Keys, or wrestle a mid bright Atlantic salmon in eastern Canada, Guilds Fly Fishing International's well-traveled booking team has the knowledge to make it happen. They consider trust to be the single most important aspect of their work. They only book locations that they know, meaning proven operations providing the right mix of great fishing, comfortable accommodation, and high integrity. Get in touch today to start planning your next fly fishing adventure. Visit flyfishinginternational.com or call them at 780-665-4943. Again, that's flyfishinginternational.com or call them at 780 665 Four nine four three. Before we introduce Rob, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Rob's section that says Register for Our Free Drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form and we'll announce the winner at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Rob's latest book, Fly Fishing Houston and Southeastern Texas, courtesy of Infrax Books. And uh, here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question's question going to be something that Rob and I talk about during the show. So you'll submit your answer, along with your name and your location, in that text box on their homepage. Same text box that you can use to ask questions in during the show. So listen closely. Take some notes, and maybe you'll be the winner of Rob McConnell's book, Fly Fishing Houston and Southeastern Texas. Our guest tonight is Rob McConnell. Rob was born and raised in western Pennsylvania. He was in the shadow of the Allegheny Mountains, where he developed an affinity for fishing and the outdoors. In college, Robert pursued a degree in geology, one of the only majors that offered frequent field trips to the great outdoors. After graduating, Rob began a career in the oil and gas industry, which brought him to the wilds of northern Pennsylvania. He began fly fishing in earnest after discovering the joys of hiking into remote streams in pursuit of native brook trout. In 2014, Rob and his wife Ellen moved from their home in rural Pennsylvania to the bustling city of Houston, Texas, the energy capital of the world, where they reside today. Rob continues his passion for fly fishing, but instead of chasing native brook trout, he now pursues the multitude of warm water fish species that live in the surrounding waterways of Houston, Texas. Rob especially enjoys exploring the more remote waterways, including those found in the Piney Woods of East Texas. Rob is the author of Fly Fishing the Sam, a guidebook to exploring the creeks, rivers, and bayous of Sam Houston National Forest, and Fly Fishing Houston and Southeastern Texas. Rob, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Hi,
1: Roger. Thanks for talking to me.
0: <laughs> now, you're going to talk to me tonight, Rob. <laughs> we're going to yeah. get all your secrets. We're going to get all your secrets. <laughs> all right, that's so, uh, good. Get ready, get ready. They're out there now. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk mainly about Houston southeastern Texas, but I just mentioned another book that you had written, Fly Fishing the Sam. So that's yeah. one area we're not going to cover tonight, right? Uh, that's, well, uh, uh, yeah. Specifically. To-
1: yeah, actually, there is a little section there is a little overlap but it's only like one weight between fly fishing houston and fly fishing the sam but yeah it's it's mostly uh most brand new stuff
0: yeah so if somebody wanted to know more about sam houston national forest and fishing that they should get your other book right
1: yeah that's right yeah that one's yes that was mostly like a pioneering effort just to get out there and explore and just go blue lining yeah. in those little creeks in the same way you would catching native brookies up in PA or New York State or uh, southern Appalachians. You can do that same thing and just get up in Sam Houston National Forest and and go for the, all those panfish and spotted bass that we have up there.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah, just find a place where water's running and see if there's any fish in it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you just published Fly Fishing Houston in Southeastern, Texas. Tell us about how your book came about, where the idea came from, and how it's been made.
1: Yeah, sure. Like you mentioned before, I wrote Fly Fishing the Sam, and and I published that during the height of the the, uh, pandemic. So it came out in 2020, and it was something that I had been working on for a little over a year, you know, actually writing it. I mean, I had been exploring those creeks for, for much longer than that, but just something that Started working on and then when I published it, nobody was traveling anywhere. <laughs> you know, everybody was yeah. basically stuck at home. And so it was, you know, in, in terms of getting the book out there for really promoting our home waters, it, it couldn't have come at a better time because nobody was traveling and they were just decided, hey, I'll, maybe I'll try fishing that real, <laughs> real like dense foresty swamp up there, <laughs> at Sam Houston National <laughs> Forest. So, so yeah, I, I wrote that and then after I wrote that book and published it i started talking to aaron reed and aaron reed is another like um he's another texas creek freak so he's always stomping uh, around in the creeks and stuff like that but he does it in central texas he lives just north of austin Mm. and he wrote fly fishing austin in central texas and that came out right at the same time that fly fishing the sam did and so we kind of just started talking and aaron approached me and was asking me to see if i'd be interested in writing a more Houston-centric book, you know, whereas The Plattfish and the was takes place in the National Forest about an hour and a half north of the city. He was wanting to know if I wanted to write a book to look at more of the urban waterways and also some of the other creeks that are just north of the city there and some of the parks and things like that, and then look at the lakes as well. And yeah, it was something I was really interested in, and so that's kind of how the book came about pretty much as soon as I published fly fishing the same I turned around and immediately started working on fly fishing Houston and southeastern Texas
0: wow you're a glutton for punishment right Most <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like. guys write time. a book and they're kind of like I need a break for a while I'm going to go fishing I mean I'm going to go <laughs> yeah. fishing right, Not yeah, that's great. That's
1: right.
0: Yeah. yeah 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 well yeah I told yeah, uh, one of the guy friends. yeah one of my guide friends here and clients in Colorado we were talking about marketing for his guide business the other day, and and he asked me how I'm doing. I said, I've been busy, 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 but not fishing very much. And he says, yeah, same with me. <laughs> because he helps everybody else go fishing, but he never gets yeah, to right. go fishing, right? Yeah, so, yeah, that's right. That's right. kind of funny. Yeah. You're a fishing but guy you, and you don't go fishing? Well, not really.
1: <laughs> yeah, you mentioned research, and like that is exactly what I would, would call it whenever I would yeah. go out the door. You know, my... Wife wanted to know if I was going fishing, and I was, no, I was researching. Just made it sound like yeah, it was better yeah. to her. Anyway. You gotta <laughs>
0: tell, yeah, you got to tell her that and the tax man,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> all
0: expenses for research. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah that's
0: yeah. Right. so Oh, good, good. Yeah, it looks like a ton of work, by the way, and it's a great book. I think you did an excellent job on it, so uh, kudos to you. Yeah, thanks, uh, Roger. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. Great photography, a lot of great information, well-organized, so. Anyway, folks, if you don't win it tonight, go buy it, you know, if you're going to fish that, that area of Texas. <laughs> um, So tell us, because we're going to kind of follow the organization of your book tonight in doing this interview, but tell us how it's organized and what's the best way to use your book if one were to get it and look to fish yeah. in southeast Texas. Yeah,
1: yeah, sure. For The way you can use it is you can use it as, a, as kind of like your typical guidebook where you kind of have a spot that you want to check out, and um, you can just open up the inside cover, and there's this big map of the area. And you can, you know, just say, oh, I want to go north of the city. And you can look at where all the all the creeks are laid out there, and you can kind of pinpoint the wade that you want to go to. And then you can just flip to that page and, and read about the wade, the description of what to expect. You know, will you be wading? Will it be like a tough wade? Will it be an easy wade? So you can use it like that, or you can simply read through the whole thing, because what I wanted to try and do is was make it also a resource for, if you don't necessarily live in Houston, you can still use it as a warm water fly fishing resource. So in the beginning of the book, we have all the introduction stuff, like what gear to use, what to expect, some fly selection where some local tires supplied their patterns and their recipes. And then, you know, we kind of get into, like, the what all the symbols mean and basically how to use the book. So, like, the once that introduction stuff is done, the first half of the actual guidebook itself is the Piney Woods region. So uh, Piney Woods, as you mentioned before, what it is is it's an ecologic region called the, uh, it's a native pine forest that we talk about as being the Piney Woods of East Texas, but that Piney Woods ecoregion actually extends over much of the South. And so, you know, it extends like up into Arkansas, Northern Louisiana, and over in Alabama mississippi mm. so it, it's a, a huge region but you know our little section of it is just the texas piney woods region and um you know what it is is it's pine forests that are kind of in the high areas and when i say high, i'm doing air quotes because it's not exactly you know, <laughs> we're not talking about where you're from colorado you know yeah but um yeah the, then the low-lying lands like the bottomlands, that's usually deciduous with um you know oaks and sweet gum and uh, Yopon holly, things like that, that are along the creek beds. And the creeks themselves up in the Piney Woods are usually sandy with some intermixed gravel beds. And so that's kind of the first half of the book where we talk about the Piney Woods region. And we're focusing a lot on creeks, but we also have um, one of the major lakes in the area is Lake Conroe. We actually put that in the book as well. Then from there, we kind of go into, we break the guidebook up and make it so so, you know, you have that first section and then you have a section about the legality of accessing waterways in Texas, because that can be kind of a, you know, if you're not from this area and you don't know the the legal ways to access the water, it can seem daunting. You know, we can talk about that a little bit more later yeah. on if you want. Sure. But then, yeah. you know, we go into that and then we go into like how to stay safe. So that's, you know, everything from keeping an eye out for venomous snakes like copperheads and cottonmouths to, you know, how to approach the urban waterways and, and how to fish those safely. And then the second half of the book is the urban section. So that's what we call the concrete flats. And so that's all of the bayous that worm their way through the city itself. And believe it or not, but there's, you know, bass in those, there's panfish in those there's carp. So that second half of the book where we talk about the urban waterways, it's, that's a pretty carp heavy section just because that's such a, a popular game fish for the urban fly fishing guys. But, you know, not only carp, you know, but you get exotics like tilapia there, Rio Grande Cichlids, even though they're native to Texas, they're not native to the Houston area, but you can still catch them in Houston. And then, so after that section, we go into fish identification, and then we have a section that I call farther afield, and farther afield um, addresses a creek called Village Creek, which that's a really picturesque uh, waterway that flows through southeastern Texas you know it's really unique area it's it's a biozone called the big thicket national preserve and i mean it is it is that's an apt description because it's like this really rugged area that is just one big thicket but there's a really neat creek that flows through that mm-hmm. with sandy banks and sandbars and and all that it's just it's a real nice float and then yeah. and then the last chapter of the book is just you know how to protect our water resources in the houston area how we can be mindful about our trash and litter and, uh, you know, just how to organize a a stream cleanup for someone that really wants to get out there and make a difference in the waterways.
0: Great, great. So the, the book focuses on freshwater fishing rather than any of the coastal fishing that might be available there as well,
1: right? Yes, yeah, correct, Roger. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Because, I mean, too many people in the Houston area, I mean, the, crowning jewel of Texas fly fishing is the coast and Houston is right on the coast I mean it's an hour away pretty much from the salt a lot of people that fly fish do so along the Texas coast and I didn't do that for this book just simply because you know going down to the coast from Houston is usually a full day or a weekend trip and a lot Mm -hmm. of these waterways that I talk about you know you can if you live in the city you can fish these urban waterways you know after work and, you know, if you wanted yeah. to make a day trip or a weekend trip, you know, driving up to the Piney Woods, that's another option. And it's an option where you don't need a skiff. Uh, you don't need to abide by the tides. You know, yeah. it's, it's less daunting, too, in terms of like looking at, you know, yeah. the ocean and trying to figure that out as opposed to just getting in a creek and wading a creek. That's kind of why I focus yeah. on well, the freshwater. Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, no, it makes sense. And, of course, there's always another book, Fly Fishing the Houston Coast.
1: <laughs> for saltwater yeah.
0: species, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's so, true. Well, um, man, There's, there's a lot of resources yeah. out there for that too. You know, Phil Schir yeah, yeah. wrote a great book about that.
0: Yeah, I interviewed him on a previous show. Yeah, so I oh know. yeah, great, great, yeah yeah, 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 cool. Okay, so let's because we did have a question from John in Central California wrote in and asked about you know how do we learn about public access? Are there shops or clubs to learn from? Um, so you want to address that now? And I don't know—is a it's a statewide? I'm sure water access uh, laws, right? Or yeah, I, I remember you know in the East back. I think in Pennsylvania, New York, it can be quite convoluted because you've got these grandfathered in properties and you know uh, going back to colonial times, and it can be quite a mess <laughs> up there, I guess. But
1: yeah, but yeah. So, yeah,
0: what is it in Texas? Fill
1: us in and. Enlighten us. yeah yeah sure, well, you know I have a whole chapter where I discuss this in my book because unfortunately it's it can also be convoluted when it comes to um accessing these waterways in Texas, so you know it's really it's no secret that Texas doesn't have much in the way of public land, but you know what we lack in public land we more than make up for with our really liberal access laws for the state 's waterways, and in a nutshell, if the creek meets the definition of being a navigable waterway, you are legally allowed to paddle it or wade it. You're legally allowed to get in the water. The question then is what constitutes a navigable waterway? So, you know, and this is what I write about in the book, how a waterway meets the definition of being navigable. You know, basically one way is that if you can put a paddle craft like a canoe or kayak or any boat for that matter, in the waterway then it is navigable by fact there's another and this is kind of where it gets a little nuanced but there's another definition for navigable waterway which is navigable by statute and that's if the creek maintains an average width of 30 feet from one bank to the other and so basically if you know and they lined that out that way and wrote it that way and because there are a lot of creeks that are navigable for only part of the year so the idea was, you know, back in 1800s, 1900s, you could raft logs down, say, a, 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 a waterway that had water in it for part of the year. You know, you could raft those logs down and get them down to the lumber mills, but then in the dry season, that creek would dry up. and But it right. was still considered a public waterway because, you know, the public needed it to get their logs down or whatever it is. Um, and so, as long as the average width is about 30 feet from bank to bank, it's navigable by statute, and so yeah, you have legal right to be there in the water or in the uh, in the bank, basically in between the banks.
0: And I'm assuming that even though you have rights to the water, you have to access it at a public point, uh, put yes. in uh, bridge, yes. something like
1: that. Yep. Yeah, correct. And then so you can
0: the- you can either. Float it or wade up and down, no problem touching bottom or any of that stuff,
1: right, right, yeah, no rules like that where the the landowner owns the bottom of the river. I think that's a problem for you right. guys, isn't it in Colorado? Oh,
0: yeah, that's a big problem, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah,
1: no, yeah nothing, so. nothing like that, so it's you're right if you can find like a, a public roadway or something like that that crosses the water, you can you know get in on the right of way, and I mean there are people that will have no trespassing signs, and they'll use fences and they'll they'll put their fences up to prevent people but legally they're actually supposed to put a cross over there for people to climb up and over their fence you know they you should obviously abide by the livestock laws as well you can't just like open up a gate and wander in and leave it open or anything like that yeah yeah but uh yeah i mean in a lot of cases you'll see where people will have a gate and they'll just say like you know please close the gate or whatever i've seen that um on a river where it was the roadway crossed the river, so you know you could see where people would drive down there and get down there. But it was also a, a place where they, the guy watered his cattle. So he put yeah. a gate in for yeah. people to get down there, which is nice.
0: Well, great, great. Well, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll start talking specifically about uh, the Pinewood Waters up there. So we'll be right back in just a few seconds. Muskie Town is so much more than a musky fly shop. Whether you're a muskie fly fishing guide, an experienced muskie hunter, or just getting into predators on the fly, wherever your life's adventures take you, Musky Town's proven lineup helps you be more successful on the water. They have rods, reels, lines, and flies for muskie, pike, and bass. Most of their flies are tied in-house, and they fish them at every possible opportunity so they know what works, why it works, and exactly what you need to put big fish in the net. Sit back, relax, enjoy legendary fly shop service, and please let them know if there's ever anything they can help you with. Next time you think of musky, go to Muskietown. That's muskytown.com or call them at 763-312-6012. Again, that's muskytown.com, 763-312-6012. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Rob McConnell about fly fishing Houston and southeastern Texas. If you'd like to ask Rob a question, go to our homepage at com, and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. Receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. So, Rob, I always ask my guests, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So I know you're, you're probably taking a breather after putting this book together, but what else is happening for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm taking a bit of a breather from, uh, from writing books, that's for sure. I wrote a, a couple of smaller articles just you know recapping some trips that I went on this past summer Yeah, uh, just ran a couple of those on hatch magazine And yeah, just you know, but taking a break overall from You know writing any books or anything like that Right now white bass are running In the houston area and pretty much all over texas Yeah, that's it's a good time to to be a fly fisher in Uh, the Texas area, just with the temperate bass running.
0: Right, right, yeah. Now, when you say uh, white bass running, where are they running from and to?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, they basically, like, they spend much of the year in large bodies of water. So they'll be in the lakes in the area. So for us, that's Lake Houston and Lake Conroe. And actually do um, live in the Trinity River, too. And then uh, Trinity River is east of the city. But, uh, yeah, so then during this time of year, during the spawn, they uh, the first, the males run up in smaller feeder creeks. And another nickname for, uh, like, white bass or yellow bass. Yellow bass are native to our area. But um, uh, another name for these bass are sand bass because they spawn over sand. So, like, hmm. that's what we have plenty of in the area. We've got sandy creeks all okay. over the place. So they run up out of these impoundments and they run into these creeks and this is where the fly fishermen can target them So basically you just wade into these smaller creeks and find holes where you know they'll run up through shallow water and then they'll find a, a hole and then they'll just hang out in that hole for a little bit before they keep going upstream um, and so that's you know you find a hole during the white bass run and you're probably going to get into white bass but um yeah it's it's not just white bass either so I, uh, yellow bass are native to our area um, and that's kind of neat because that's a native fish that really doesn't you know the range pretty much stops at Houston and Dallas I believe I believe they're native to Dallas too but they really don't go much further west than that so that's I always like to mention them because that's kind of like a cool little native you know fish that Houston has that the other part of the state doesn't have but they look a lot like a white bass. They're called a yellow bass because they have a little bit of a a yellow tint to them, but the lines that run down the length of their body, they have, their lines are a little bit different and actually have two offset lines towards like their uh, tail fin. It's, they're really pretty. It's kind of a cool fish.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to, uh, I got another interview coming up with Jeff Currier. I don't know if you know Jeff, but he's He's on a lifelong yeah. quest to catch as many fish on the fly as he can. I'll have to ask okay. him about the yellow bass. So. Yeah,
1: cool. <laughs> See yeah, if he's got that man.
0: one knocked off yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: yeah. So, okay, well, let's talk about the Pinewood, uh waters up there. Um, yeah. More specifically. You've got the West Fork of the Jacinto River uh, yeah. and Lake yeah. Conroe. <laughs> yeah. That's now, the do they say that, Jacinto a lot of people there?
1: Yeah, it's well. Yeah, that I mean, that's how you're supposed to say it, right? If you speak Spanish, um, but uh, you know, in the Houston area, they just call it the uh, San Jack. You know, just to shorten it, make it easier. But it's like, yeah, they <laughs> just call it the San Jack. West Fork is San Jack. East Fork is San Jack.
0: Well, so I'm I'm taking Spanish lessons right now. So I'm looking at anything that looks Spanish and trying to pronounce it correctly, but. Okay, so, yeah,
1: yeah, you pronounce it correctly. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And that's unusual because I make a lot of mistakes, that's for sure. So we've got, uh, it looks like, the Jacinto River is flowing out of Lake Conroe. Is that a
1: reservoir? Is there a tailwater out of that? Yeah, that is a reservoir. It's, so it's immediately downstream from the lake. It's not much of a tailwater fishery. It's okay. it's actually really small as it comes right out of the lake. But there's another creek that joins it called Lake Creek. And pretty much whenever those two creeks come together, whenever the West Fork of the Sand Jack meets Lake Creek, it gets to be bigger water. And it's more of a like medium-sized river that is waitable for you know several miles and then as it gets further downstream it starts approaching lake houston where it gets impounded again and then once you get closer to lake houston you can paddle it but you can't wait it anymore and then actually at lake houston is where the east fork of the San jack meets west Fork of the San jack and then out out of lake houston where houston gets its drinking water you just get the the san jacinto river proper and, um, you know, just further downstream, you know, the Battle of, of um, San Jacinto is where, you know, the Texans defeated the Mexican Army. And so that's kind of like a, an established oh. area, you know, as you mm-hmm. get further downstream. People that are right. from Texas would know that, you know, they would know that area.
0: Okay, so let's start with Lake Conroe. What's, um, yeah. what's special about that? What kind of fish can we catch in there? And do you need a boat or yeah. can you wade? the banks or the tributaries tell us a bit
1: yeah yeah so lake conroe it's it's a bit of an interesting lake because it's the northern half of lake conroe the all the land that borders the northern half of lake conroe that's all part of the same houston wilderness area um, hmm. same houston national forest so like you have public access you can hunt that you can hike in it you can fish it along there's no development at all then in the southern half, you know, there's condos and like restaurants and things like oh. that that are right on the water. And so in the book I really only talk about the northern end because again when I was writing the book I wanted it to be accessible for everybody. You can much it's much easier to buy a used kayak online than it is a used boat, you know, so I tried to avoid yep. areas I tried yeah, I tried to avoid describing areas where, you know, you need you'd need a boat and really that southern section of Lake Conroe is pretty hostile to paddlecraft because it's a it's kind of like a you know there a lot of people that live in that area and they all have boats and so on the weekends they're out blasting around on the on the lake so I kind of right. t- tended to stay away from that area and, and describe the northern section and okay. it's it's a really neat fishery uh, you know TPWD Texas Parks and Wildlife they stock Florida largemouth in Lake Conroe. They also stock white bass hybrids in Lake Conroe. And then, you know, there's a ton of native fish in there, too, like everything from, you know, your rough fish like spotted gar and carp to, you know, freshwater drum, uh, what, what people call gasper goo. There's black crappie in there. There's red sunfish, bluegill. And then one of my favorite, that's come to be one of my favorite fish to pursue on the fly is um, bowfin. Bowfin are also in, in Lake Conroe. And, wow! Um, quite the selection. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yes, there's tons of fish, in there. and I mean, and the bass are nice too because they're, they're the Florida, the the Florida largemouth, so you know they they can get pretty hefty. But yeah, so in in the book I mention areas that are you know paddle only, and then wade or paddle, and and um, you know, usually the too like with with Lake Conroe, it's just it's generally good to show up with a kayak even if the water level is low, um, just because you can. So much easier uh, more easily get to you know spots if the fishing is bad in one area you can just jump in the boat and paddle over to another area and, and try that right out. It's, so um, yeah
0: yeah so you, so, pre- you know, prefer fishing from a kayak or some kind of watercraft up there
1: yeah you know? yeah generally in, in lake conroe it's it's i mean you can this just this past um pretty much right before the white bass started to spawn uh, my buddy and i walked up there and we were just trying to fish the mouths of uh, some feeder creeks to see if the white bass were staging in preparation for their run. And, you know, we were able to walk the, you know, you can walk the edge of the lake and kind of fish the shoreline because a, in a lot of places it's like a sandy shore. And so you mm-hmm. could wade out, you know, up to your waist and kind of blind cast and fan fan an area and then get your stuff and move on if you don't catch anything. Okay. You know, now, so there uh, are spots that you can wade.
0: So you talked about what, probably about 10 species of fish very quickly there. What kind of gear do you take up there to, you know, because do you target just white bass or do you switch off and go for a gar? Or what, what's yeah, your strategy?
1: I, yeah, yeah. The strategy kind of, you know, as always with this stuff, okay, like it depends on what you're into and the area that you're going to. Like, so if you were going to go fish Lake Conroe, I usually bring a seven weight a six weight sometimes too Basically like a bass rod something that you can chuck fairly big flies with because you could easily tangle with a Florida largemouth or a spotted gar, you know Or you could see a bowfin and and make a cast to a bowfin and all those fish. They're going to pull pretty hard They're going to be they're going to be a big fish that wants to eat a fairly big fly you know if you wanted to fish more of like the piney woods creeks you know and really get like deep like uh, blue lining excursion that kind of thing i bring my three weight like if, if i was going to go up and explore the east fork of the san jacino up in San houston national forest i would bring my three weight i would be targeting spotted bass long-eared sunfish warm-mouth red spotted sunfish you know i have a 2 weight too that I, I would also bring up there um okay. but then mm-hmm. You know, if, like, you're going for white bass, usually say that, like, a five weight is a great rod to take for the white bass run because the males are smaller than the females, and so if you're hitting the run earlier and only the males are up in the creek, they'll put a good bend on a five weight. But then you never know when you're going to get a female, which sometimes they're twice the size of a male, and, you know, they'll really put a bend on it. So, you know.
0: So there's good reason why we all have like ten fly rods.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. And like Houston's know better with that, you know. You just need, yeah, yeah. You just need a bunch of different rods for a bunch yep. of different scenarios. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never can have too many rods, right? Yeah,
1: that's right. Okay. That's
0: right. Um, what about the? Uh, I've never fished for gar, but I'm looking at their mouths. Do you need some kind of bite guard when you're fishing for them?
1: Uh, again it's one of those things that kind of depends there are times where I wish I had one and broke off a gar that was a good one but then there are times where you'll catch pen gar for every one that you need you know that you wish you would had bite wire on usually you know if you're fishing like a big heavy mono something that you wouldn't mind taking up to Lake Conroe anyway if you're fishing for a bowfin or Florida largemouth that are going to run you into all the algae and weeds and stuff like that something like heavy, uh, you know, twenty pounds, something like that, you really wouldn't have a problem with almost any of the spotted gar that you would hook up with. Okay. You know, when you start looking at the bigger gar species like long nose can get to be about five feet and then gator gar or alligator gar, that's serious fish. Like when you there you know, guys like Danny Scarborough and Alan Antonson who used to live down here, like they would go up to where the Trinity River comes out of lake livingston and they would just be up there blind casting for gator gar and that's like 10 weight stuff you know that's uh oh okay a, a, like saltwater water totally gear different kind of game. thing yeah 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 it's, yeah it's a different game and you know i think the record the all tackle record out of the trinity river is 200 pounds gator gar just to give you an idea of like how big these things get wow. it was you know six wow. foot yeah. something and 200 pounds so it's like a it's a very serious fish I've yeah. only ever caught one alligator gar, and I did it on a seven weight, and it wasn't even a big one. It still took me forever to get it in, but it's one of those things that I just—I keep a pair of leather gloves in my fishing backpack all the time because in the chance that I hook up with a gar, it's just nice to be able to put a, a one of try and get one of the leather gloves on so I can kind of hold its mouth still yeah. while I get the hook out. Right, right. Okay. But well, in, let's uh, in, let's move. Uh, I was just gonna say, Roger. In the book, there's a particular fly pattern in the fly selection section that uh, is called the uh, G Funk fly. It was designed by Joey Ramirez, and it's you know it's got a, a trailing hook and it has a little bit of um, nylon rope, you know, not too much, but just a couple strands of nylon rope to help like tangle up in their mouth, and that's a great fly for GARs. Yeah, it would be a good one to check out if you ever wanted to, if you're ever interested in going for gar specifically
0: in uh, lake counter where did the gar usually hang out what kind of water
1: actually right now and in the spring you know late spring too they're, they're shallow uh, which is kind of neat because you can sight cast for them sometimes when they're spawning and you'll see like a bunch of males following a female they won't do anything you know you can throw a thousand casts in front of them and they just don't care but then yeah. you know after they're done spawning or before they spawn they'll oftentimes chase all those anything you throw at them so right now they're shallow and you know even during the summer like usually the stuff gets as the weather gets hotter you'll see them more often breaching on the surface they can gulp air they can supplement their oxygen in their bloodstream by gulping air so you'll see them gulp air a lot and that's nice because that tells you where they are you know so you can paddle over there or walk over there and try and blind cast for them
0: Oh, you do? I was just going to say, it sounded like you were sight casting for them, but normally you're just...
1: Yeah, when they're shallow and they're really you know, uh, tucked shallow up in the, the grass flats and stuff on Lake Conroe, you can sight fish for them there. But then, you know, okay. later on in the summer, where if you find them in the West Fork or um, in some of, like, the backwater coves in Conroe or something like that, uh, you'll see them breaching on the surface. And, yeah, generally when it's a little bit deeper and, and the water's been warm, you know, there's more sediment in the suspended, you know, then it's a little bit harder to sight fish for them.
0: OK, OK. OK, let me uh, take another quick break here, uh, Rob, and we'll come back and we'll talk about the uh, East Fork of the San Jacinto River. So hang tight. We'll be okay, right back. Sounds good. Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or would like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio? we're talking with Rob McConnell about fly fishing Houston and southeastern Texas. If you'd like to ask Rob a question, just go to our homepage and ask about flyfishing.com and uh, send us your question. Let's see if we can't get it answered for you tonight. Okay. We're going to have to move a little faster here, Rob. I've <laughs> got a okay. lot of water to cover. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> that's <laughs> um, yeah, good. So you talked a little bit about the East Fork. It runs from out of uh, Lake Conroe down almost to Houston proper. Pretty close,
1: right? Suburbs. Um, yeah, so the northeast well, West Fork runs out of Lake Conroe. The East Fork is oh, over sorry. on the, um, the yeah. yeah. The East Fork is over on the eastern side of Sam Houston National Forest, and kind of it starts around Cleveland, Texas.
0: Yeah, I misspoke. Let's talk about the West Fork first, and then we'll move to the East Fork. So, um, so what are we fishing for along that water, and what's it like? Can it be weighted? Can it be floated?
1: Yeah, so on the East Fork, a lot of that is more of like a small stream kind of deal you know the, the east fork was one that i wrote about in flat fishing the sam uh that was like you know one of the main creeks that i talked about in flat fishing the sam. And you know generally when i'm fishing the east fork i'm bringing my three weight you know it's, you can look at it it it's almost like this is like our rendition of a brook trout stream <laughs> um you know you're okay. fishing for long sunfish spotted bass bluegill stuff like that so it's a much tighter waterway you know a lot of uh, roll casts and getting your line hung up in the trees behind you stuff like that yeah that's kind of what the east fork is all about but what's nice about the east fork is that one of the most upstream sections that i talk about in fly fishing houston in southeastern texas that's the part that is in sam houston national forest and so Um, When you get up there, you can actually have a genuine blue-lining experience where you could hike into that creek and you could walk for several miles and be in Sam Houston National Forest, totally open to the public to explore. And, um, you know, you won't see another soul. It's just a a really cool uh, little waterway to explore with, like, a two-weight or a three-weight, something like that.
0: Now, does that run small all the way down to, to Lake Houston?
1: It runs smaller than the West Fork, that's for sure. But you know it starts opening up right when it gets to Lake Houston, kind of where I have another two other creeks that I talk about in the book, Peach Creek and Caney Creek. Wherever they start coming down in, that starts to, That's usually when the then the east fork tends to widen up, and uh, you know it's more, it's better to paddle that section. And usually it's the only the access that you can find is putting in your canoe or kayak into Lake Houston and paddling upstream that's usually like the best way to hit that
0: oh okay okay so what about uh peach creek so the majority of the east fork is the smaller fish the the sunfish and so forth or do you have any bass in there or
1: yes yeah you'll get spotted bass and you'll also get largemouth bass too they tend not to be too big just i think from the size of the water i'm not exactly sure but uh yeah, I mean you can get into bass but again like it, it's usually more of like a three-way endeavor <laughs> kind of
0: yeah when you do that. Okay. Same thing with Peach Creek and uh Caney Creek?
1: Yeah, it's the nice thing about Peach Creek and Caney Creek those two waterways get a decent run of white bass usually. So, um Okay. A lot of times it's you know nicer to kind of up your gear a little bit whenever you're going to be catching quite a few white bass, you know, at least you hope to. So they are a smaller waterway, but um, you tend to tangle with a little bit of bigger fish, fish that at least have more pool than, say, you know, your long ear sunfish or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And speaking of flies, you know, I'm looking at uh, the flies in your book, a lot of kind of streamer patterns, some, um, yep. some poppers. You have some uh, more... Trout-looking flies for the carp. Uh, yep, yep, you know, great, more, yeah. N- yeah, yeah, more nymph-type uh, looking flies. But so, it's, so, are you mainly fishing a lot on, on a lot of these rivers with streamer-type of flies or wooly bugger yeah. kind of things? Yeah, know, yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. A lot of it, especially when you're going for these predatory fish that eat a lot of bait fish and shad and things like that it's it's a lot of streamers oh and it's a style of fishing that you know coming from pennsylvania down here wasn't something that i was used to immediately but you know i've really loved streamer fishing i've really loved like that active retrieve it's just uh you know i've really fallen in love with it even to the point where it's like you know, I'm taking streamers when I go back home, you know, to, to, to Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, trout I'm, I'm like streamers too. Water.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Very true.
0: Yeah, there's nothing like a hit on a streamer, right? I mean, you know yeah, you got a yeah. hit. I mean, there's yeah, no question yeah,
1: exactly. about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. such a fun way. Um,
0: or a miss, right? When you see the swirl <laughs> right. and uh, no tug, right?
1: Oh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And
0: okay, well, back to then the West Fork. How is it different than the East Fork?
1: Yeah, so the East Fork is really, they call it, you know, the East Fork of the San Jacinto River, but it's really a river in name only. I mean, it is a creek for okay. a lot of its length, whereas the West Fork is much more open. It's much more like a river. It's a weightable river for, a lot, for much of its length, but, you know, it's, uh, it's a sandy bank where the, and it's, and it's a sandy river bottom where the banks are, are fairly sloped, not a lot of overhanging cover. You know, you can make longer casts. Whereas the East Fork, it has a very tight bank. It's a great place to go in the middle of summer because it's like completely covered by a canopy of trees. So you actually get thermal refuge. And I think the fish like it too because they're just not getting bombarded by the sunlight quite as much in the cooler water temperatures. But uh, yeah, that's the big difference. Oh, and, and the East Fork is a little bit muddier than the West Fork, even during times of low flows. Just, it kind of okay. has a little bit more of a, a tinge to it. And it's also more tannic as well.
0: And what are we fishing for in the West Fork?
1: Uh, The West Fork is usually where you get into, like, more white bass, spotted bass, largemouth. You'll get white crappie in the West Fork, gasper goo. A lot of the same, I'd say, you know, bigger predatory fish you can find in the West Fork as you can the East Fork. The East Fork is, I have more fun fishing for panfish in the East Fork just because it seems to have more variety of panfish in the East Fork Mm. than the West Fork. Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. And uh, so you can uh, float parts of that. And when you say float, and, and these rivers down here, are you just meaning like whether it be a kayak or a paddleboard or
1: a, uh, yeah, yeah. A, sorry, you know, I single person
0: float. raft or
1: yeah. Right. Yeah. I should yeah say no paddle. No drift
0: no. <laughs> boats. No drift boats or big big rafts or anything like that. Right. Uh,
1: not not too big. Uh, I mean, you can get a two man fly craft on a lot of these. Okay. But, you know, those big, like, NRS boats or you know, that's yeah. probably not.
0: Yeah, yeah, overkill for that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Um, exactly.
0: Now, you had in your book pictures of wild boar related to the, the yeah. San Jacinto River. Is that something yeah. you need to look out for or concerned about when
1: you're fishing? Uh, no, I wouldn't say concerned about it. Um, it's fun to see them. You know, you can, you'll, you know, you never know when you're going to, uh, on the East Fork, too, as well as the West Fork. Yeah, I think that picture you're referring to is on the West Fork. But, um, you know, you can you can run into them on the East Fork, too. And, you know, I've, I hear a lot of, like, stories about people getting charged and stuff like that. I, I've never had a problem with them. I've hunted them and, and stuff, too. And I've never had a time where I was, like, you know, worried that they were oh, going to, like, threatened. charge me yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay. And then what about snakes, too? You mentioned snakes in your book. Is that...
1: Yeah, yeah, Some there's been... uh, there's several venomous snakes in the area, and it, you just like just kind of have to be mindful of them. I mean, they're not uh, you know you'll see them. I mean, i have even seen uh, copperheads in the city of Houston? It's just they're just around, and you just kind of have to keep an eye out for them. It's just part of the landscape. Yeah. Um, but it's mostly copperheads and cottonmouths are the two. I'd say most common venomous snakes that you're likely to encounter as an angler, the cottonmouths, especially just because they're in the water and uh, you're in the water, so you're more likely to yeah. see them. There's eastern timber antlers down here too. I've only been lucky enough to see one, but uh, you know they've, they're every once in a while you can see one. And then there's also another. The coral snake is down here, but then again, that's another venomous snake. It's a snake that is pretty docile and is more likely to. Yeah. Just run away in fear. It's easier, right? Outrun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, what? Okay, so let's talk about Spring Creek. That's the only one left in the Pineywood Waters area of the book.
1: Um, yeah,
0: yes. So yeah. tell us about Spring Creek.
1: Yes, Spring Creek's another great creek for white bass. You know, like right now, Spring Creek would be is a great creek to hit. Um, it gets a pretty prolific white bass run during this time of the year. It's another really Pretty Creek. It's got uh, sandy banks. You know, the the waterway, the bottom of the waterway itself is, is sandy. Um, it can be walked for the majority of it. You know, I make mention in the book that there's a section that you can float from pretty much the confluence of another creek coming in. But for if, if anybody wanted to wait it at, at low flows or you know what I describe as optimum flows in the book, that would be a, a great creek to go hit, especially now with the white bass running in it.
0: So what's the season for the white bass then? For the, so it's spring, yeah, early spring.
1: Yeah, is yeah. The I mean, generally people say when the red buds are on the trees, which there's a you know a tree down here called a red bud tree, and and when the red buds start to flower, that's usually like white bass season. But you know you can get into them as early as as January sometimes, like mid January. You know you can find them staging. I would call it, I guess, at the uh-huh. you know, still in the reservoirs or maybe at the very mouth of the stream that they're going to be running up into. But then, yeah, and then, you know, I have, it's not uncommon to get, I guess what well, you would potentially call a, a holdover or a resident white bass in anything like the West Fork, in a big hole or something like that, or even in Spring Creek. You know, I've caught them in July in Spring Creek. They just find, like, a little hole that they like, and they just kind of stay put there. And most of them so, are but, running know,
0: out of uh, Lake Houston. Is that where they're coming from? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yep. and then they're also in Lake Conroe as well. Right. Um, I have a yeah. uh, paddle that I described in the book where they're actually running out of Lake Conroe and you can get them in one of the rivers that flow into Lake Conroe. Right, mm-hmm. right.
0: Okay, let's uh, take another quick break and then let's come back and talk about the concrete flats Okay. And, uh, some of those urban waters. So hang tight, we'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. FFI efforts include being a strong advocate for removing dams on the Snake River, preserving water quality through their Science on the Fly program, and taking action to conserve the declining populations of Atlantic striped bass. FFI serves as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all types of fish and to preserve and promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Rob McConnell about fly fishing Houston and southeastern Texas. So if you do have a question, go out that form on the homepage of our website and send it on over. We'll see if we can get it answered. All right. So... We're moving into the city now. <laughs> no more national forest. <laughs> Only tall canyons of concrete and steel buildings. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean we have the same thing here in Denver. Um by the way, we've got the uh, South Platte River oh, really? running straight through downtown and lots of good carp pack fishing there and and oh, upstream, that's cool. closer to the foothills, they got some some uh, smallmouth bass and so forth too. So yeah, it's um Become quite the, the urban, you know, or city thing, it seems, yeah. uh, in, in many parts of the country. So, oh, yeah, um, that's very so cool. first of, first of all, tell me, when does a river become a bayou? A bayou <laughs> is a southern term, right?
1: Uh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, right. I think it's like a rendition of a Choctaw word called like bayuk or something like that, um, and then the, you know, we just pronounce it bayou, yeah. like the French did or something. Cajun Creole, from what I can tell, and from what I, you know, definition is basically just a really slow-flowing waterway. You know, something that you can barely tell it's moving is like what is considered a bayou.
0: Okay, so which, you got to look you know, real carefully to see if it's going left or right, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, like, you know, some of these waterways that I talk about, like Braze Bayou, for instance, because that's so channelized and altered by the hands of man, it's just, you know, you can clearly see which way it's flowing, and it's flowing relatively quickly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. I'm sure it was slow yeah. and sluggish at one point.
0: Yeah, so, um, so that's more like Spring Creek-type water than, I mean, in the way of, movement and so forth that's uh, not like a Oh, recommend. right yeah yeah freestone stream yeah yeah um, yeah exactly. So you've got um a few fisheries there. Well it looks like uh the Cypress Creek is up north of the city proper, right? Going yeah, into that's Lake right. Houston. Yep, yep.
1: Let's that's white white yeah. Let's talk about that
0: first. Another white yeah, bass, for, okay?
1: Yeah, that's another white bass creek. Um and so that one is really you pretty much need a, a paddle craft to hit that one because it's a really steep, very channelized waterway. And so, you know, you need a canoe or kayak or, you know, raft or something like that to hit that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And. Yeah, and, so there... and Roger, that,
1: okay. that creek is probably like the most, you know, quote, unquote, remote or, uh one of the creeks that makes it feel like you're still up in the woods, you know, compared okay. to, like, say, Bray's Bayou. Like, Bray's Bayou is the – that is the – when people think about the concrete flats in Houston, it's it's usually Bray's Bayou that they're thinking about.
0: Okay, and that's the one uh, kind of on the southern side of uh, downtown there, right?
1: Yeah, correct, yeah. correct. Yeah, that's the one that's very channelized, you know, and it's like you can sight fish for carp that are on that concrete apron there, what's what's called the the concrete flats you know that's it's like a a carp fisherman's dream <laughs> for that mm-hmm. that that yeah. waterway is
0: do you get some big carp in
1: there yeah yes yeah, some pretty big carp i mean they're grass carp primarily there are common carp in there as well but uh you know if you would walk braids by you and you would see carp in there like probably i don't know 70 80% of the time it's going to be a grass carp and what's fun about them is that They'll hit dry flies pretty regularly, and the or they'll oh, eat. Nice. They'll eat like in suspension. So when you look at their mouths, their mouths are more to the front of their face compared to like a common carp, which is on the bottom. And so they okay. they feed in suspension, and so you can plop a dry and let that drift right down by them, and they'll swim over and eat it. It's pretty wild to see. Okay,
0: yeah, I looked at some of the uh, flies you had in here grasshawk yeah is that are these uh,
1: local flies or are these yeah uh, yeah uh danny scarborough uh, tied the brass hawk and and he tied that specifically for grass carp uh it's designed to mimic a damselfly nymph you know which those grass carp eat fairly regularly but what he wanted to do is he wanted to design a fly that he could take up to conroe and fish in conroe and then take it down to uh, braze bayou and fish it down in braze too and so you know it, it sinks but it with those dumbbell eyes but it you know it doesn't like plummet down like some of those typical head sand flies that you see Mm. and then also mark marmon's um bel-air bonefish carp fly you know it's basically just like a crazy charlie but it's got pheasant uh pheasant tail for the for that like wing thing coming back over the hook and uh you know a lot of these braised bayou grass carp they they don't really let anything go by because they can't afford to you know um, so it's like if you <laughs> if you put anything buggy in front of them like they're they sometimes if they're in the right mood you know they'll sometimes race race each other to get to the fly and then there's weird oh. fish though because they'll like lose track of it sometimes too like where they'll you know you will know, they'll see the fly and then like go to make a swipe and completely miss it or something so a lot of yeah. times you have to like pick up a couple times so you can get an e from them but you know they, are I mean, those, they can get, um, go ahead go ahead oh i, I was, right, I was going to they ask they you about get, they uh, can get big they yeah can get to be uh, like, um, uh, you know i think danny's was 16 pounds i think is what his was um, the one that has the Braze bayou uh record and he actually caught that one on a dry fly
0: <laughs> nice nice yeah what about uh buffalo bayou that goes right through downtown it looks like hmm? yeah yeah and
1: you know, in the Buffalo Bayou it's put it in the book because it is like the main reason why the city of Houston is there in the first place. And, um, you know, it, it's going through some revitalization, I would say, uh, where it's like, you know, more people are, are getting involved in restoring the Buffalo Bayou. They have like a, a um, kayaking and canoeing race every year called the Buffalo Bayou Regatta where like hundreds and hundreds of people show up to paddle it. But it is a muddy bayou. And so for fly anglers, it's a little bit tough to fish the bayou itself. I mean, there are massive gator gar in it that people will target with fresh bait and things like that. And there's also big catfish in there, too, blue cats, channel cat, and uh, flathead. Um, But, you know, that's all, like, bait chucking stuff. Um, Right, right. But fly anglers, we should pay attention to the Buffalo Bayou because of its tributaries. So there's, like, all these tributaries all the way in Katy, Texas, which is just west of the city. Um, You know, there are tributaries that flow into the Buffalo Bayou there that you can site cast for grass carpet in that, in bass and, you know, Rio Grande cichlids even. And then one of the wades, you know, or one of the paddles I describe in the book is a section of Buffalo Bayou where you can put in at uh, Briar Bend Park and float down I think it's about seven miles but you're really not you're not really focusing on the buffalo bayou proper you're focusing on the tributaries that enter into the buffalo bayou so you you know you might hit a tributary and then have to paddle for two miles and then hit another tributary so it's like you can i mean you can try fishing in the buffalo bayou proper at the mouth of culverts and at the mouth of like smaller feeder creeks and things like that but you know you're mm. you're likely to get a spotted gar or something like that if you do that. And then the feeder creeks oftentimes have bass and green sunfish and things like that in them.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like uh, if you're looking for carp, you're probably better off to go to Braz Bayou.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For
0: nicer yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's
1: what I would say for sure. And you're, you'll at least see see more carp because the water is much clearer in, in Braz Bayou.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about when the t- it looks like the two converge and join, and continue on as Buffalo Bayou down to I don't know what lake that is to the right there, but
1: um, oh yeah, uh, that's, what is that's that's that section the, that's like? That's the bay. Yeah, that's okay. that's a lot of that is like the Houston Ship Channel, and that's just massive water. You know, that's like uh, you know that's where the tankers and stuff come up. So it's generally okay. uh, that's kind of like off limits. Yeah. yeah, I mean yeah. you can bank fish it, but. But it's not great.
0: So you had mentioned, um, I think you have mentioned three types of gar. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. yeah, Spotted gar, long-nosed gar, and gator gar, or uh, alligator gar.
0: And so, um, just going rewinding here, when we were talking about Lake Conroe, what type of gar were there? Did we find there?
1: Uh, so that's mostly spotted gar in Lake spotted Conroe. Spotted gar. Yes.
0: And then and then the second one you mentioned was again uh,
1: yes, yeah, so the longnose gar you can find those in in the west fork of the San Jacinto. Um, you can find those you know you could find those in, in other waterways in the Houston area that that aren't necessarily described like um you know they're in the uh, Trinity River which is east of the city but you know if you're looking for longnose gar you, you can find them in, in the west fork of the San Jacinto. Okay. And then the, the gator Gar's? Yeah, so the, I mean, the, the Gator Guard. Every once in a while, you will find one will pop up in like a you know a random area. You really won't find them in the West Fork uh, or the East Fork of the San Jacinto because, um, yeah, I, I, I don't really know why, but uh, maybe the water's too. Small for them, I'm not sure, but you know they're in the Trinity River, which is uh, east of the city. And you know every once in a while you'll find one that will pop up in a weird place, like uh, Bray's Bayou or something like that. Like you can find them in Bray's. Okay. Um, uh, but that's you know, not you something You're fu- generally. I mean, yeah.
0: that's kind of like an, uh, kind of a an odd, incident. <laughs> in other words, uh, yeah, you, yeah, they wouldn't necessarily yeah. go out looking for them,
1: in these uh, fisheries. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, there are guys that do just because they want to check that box. You know, they want to land that alligator yeah. bar on a 10-weight, you know, or whatever. Um, but they're, yeah. they live in brackish water as well. Um, okay. You know, you can catch them down along the coast too.
0: What about, uh, you've got in your book also um, Sheldon Lake, which looks like oh, northeast yeah. of the city, just south of Lake Houston.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: What's that about?
1: Yeah, so Sheldon Lake is definitely a, an urban lake. I mean, it is, you know, it's within the city limits. It's a state park, and the the state of Texas stocks it with Florida largemouth, and there's also a decent population of bowfin in that lake. The okay. thing about Sheldon is that it, it gets a lot of pressure, um, but what's nice wow. is that if you do end up catching a bass in that lake, it has a chance of being a pretty big bass. I think the record in that lake is over eight pounds. And also, I've heard of people catching like one pound bluegill and things like that out of that lake, too. So, I mean, it can get some big fish in it. But uh, there's a lot of gators that live in the alligators, and uh, it gets a lot of pressure, too. Not it's, gator it's, gar, a little, but
0: alligators, right?
1: Yeah, out, like the reptile. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's a neat lake, though, because on the northern end, it's kind of shallow. You know, I think it's like a max of five to six feet, something like that. And, uh, you know, there's all these bald cypress trees that are growing up out of it. And, you know, you'll get a bunch of uh, neat um, shorebirds that will nest in there, like um, yellow-crowned night herons, black-crowned night herons, rosette spoonbills. You know, they're like a bird that looks like a flamingo. They're like as pink as a flamingo, but, you know, they're not a flamingo. They're a rosette spoonbill. It's like a really cool area to explore and, and paddle um and then you know you got big old gators that are <laughs> sunning themselves out there so it it's quite an experience
0: so you fish that primarily from a kayak
1: oh yeah there's no other option with that you definitely don't want to get no in the water and right. it's and it's, uh, yeah. well there's some casting there's like a dock on the southern end that you could cast from but you know if you really want to like actually get out and explore the waterway you need to do it from a paddle craft
0: any particular technique for when an alligator gets too close?
1: <laughs> Hit him yeah. with a
0: paddle, or what do you do? <laughs> no,
1: no, no, yeah, you definitely want to keep your distance no matter what. I think it's, you know, the TPWD recommends, I, I think, around um, 30 yards, I, I think is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you, you shouldn't get any closer than about 30 yards. And if, if a gator does swim up to you and approaches you, it's generally because you're uh, close to a nest and that's generally during their nesting season. And um, they'll, like, growl and things. It's really intimidating. and you just Yeah. Wanna, yeah, you yeah. just want to paddle, you know, back paddle, and, and you don't want to yeah. mess with them. You don't, you know. There was a an attack that happened at Sheldon a long time ago um, where a guy was reeling in a bass, and, uh, you know, he bent down to grab it out of the water. He saw that, it, that a gator was pursuing it, but they're, like, such a common sight there that, you know, and they hardly ever mess with people that, you know, people just kind of, like, will be fishing around them as a gator will be swimming by. But this gator in particular was interested in this guy's fish, and he went down to pick it up, and the gator came up out of the water and, and um and bit him. So, you know, there, there has been oh, an actual attack. It itself. does
0: happen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, we're almost out of time, but I think we have another five, six minutes to talk about the – Village Creek Waters, uh, and this is what you talked about earlier, Big Thicket,
1: right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Big Thicket National Preserve. This is made it in the book. It's, it's about 100 miles east of Houston, so you know, an hour and a half drive from the city. But it's just such a cool waterway, and it's just such a cool area that it's it's worth going to. And Village Creek itself is gorgeous. It's this like white sand creek, and it's the water is very tannic, but you know, there's largemouth in it there's spotted bass in it uh, all all manner of panfish like bluegill uh, long ears and then there's also gar in that creek as well and it's what's cool about village creek is that you can camp along the bank and there are these big you know beautiful white sandbars that kind of you know at point bars and things like that there'll be this real nice camping area that's this really gorgeous white sandbar and you can you know pull your kayak or your canoe up there and make a fire and sleep there for the night and then get up the next morning and keep paddling and fishing so
0: it's, nice it's
1: nice. A definitely a, a cool resource for people that live in that southeastern texas or houston area
0: what are we fishing for in village creek then
1: yeah it's like all, all kinds of black bass like the spotted bass and largemouth and then uh, panfish as well and then spotted car okay. too but that's mainly what you, okay. you you get into
0: and i notice it's running into the with his Natchez the, Yeah, that yeah that's
1: right yep yeah, the Natchez river
0: and is that yeah, um something to fish as well or yeah you can
1: the the nature is pretty muddy okay uh yeah it's it's muddy and especially down that far it's big like that water is pretty big okay in fact village creek really expands in size too as, as it gets pretty as it gets close to the Natchez river but yeah it, i mean the Natchez River itself, especially further upstream, up above the dam that's there, that's another waterway that flows through a bunch of national forests. And um, hmm. okay. they, they were working, I think, on trying to get it as a designated wilderness stream, or you know, protected under that nomenclature. But I'm not sure if they did.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Village Creek, it looks like it's like a tributary of that. Neches yeah, River. Correct. and uh, That's correct, yeah. Uh, now, in case I may have missed this, but is the Village Creek primarily a wade river, or is that also floatable in
1: a kayak? Oh, best way to fish yeah, down? yeah. thanks, Roger. I may point that out. Yeah, that's that's definitely, a, you need to paddle That's That's really not wade. Okay. Yeah, it's too deep in, in a lot of places for you to wade it safely. Oh.
0: Okay, okay. But you can you can make multi-day a multi-day trip out of it, as you said, camping along yeah, the way.
1: Correct. And, Yeah, correct. Yeah, uh, correct.
0: How many, what could you make that, I know it all depends on how often, you know, when you stop and how long you stay, and, you know, I mean, fishing-wise to make a trip, but is it a, a two-day float trip overnight, three-day? What, what would you do? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I would say probably two-day, you know. I think the okay. designated Texas Parks and Wildlife paddling trail. I think it's 30 miles total, so if, if that helps, oh. it's, um, you know.
0: yeah, that's quite yeah. a distance, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, but, like, yeah. you probably wouldn't be able to do the whole thing in two days unless you're really hauling, but, like, the, right. the put-ins and the take-outs that I have put in the guidebook, you know, you could stretch those out and make those into a 2 or especially if you're getting into fish and, like, exploring every single nook and cranny and cypress grove that you paddle right. by, so...
0: You can make that into a three-day or something if you... If
1: yeah, you know, yeah, I think right? you could. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Cool. Well, I think we got it done here. <laughs> <Where> <laughs> yeah. another. We, we covered about everything. It's a lot of water. I mean, uh, a lot of water, Yeah, A lot yeah, of water. Really. And uh, sounds like uh, a lot of fun. You know, just uh, like you coming from Pennsylvania me from Colorado, it's just a totally different kind of fishing, you know, than we're and we're used to,
1: oh, but right, yeah. a
0: lot more variety of fish, you know, um, which is yeah Yeah. Exactly. Really cool. I noticed you, and we didn't really talk about it, but I noticed in the book you did mention some cichlids, too, so I'm assuming they're mixed in there yep. probably in some of the same areas as the panfish and that kind of thing as well.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah, and they're, they're usually in the urban, urban waterways more than anything, just, I guess, from oh, the, right. the heat of the city, and, you know, they're not very good with cold temperatures, so, like, you can really only okay. find them in the city. Just from I guess okay. just from like that warm concrete and things like that, and just the general urban like heat that that gets put out that they they are in the urban waterways.
0: Yeah, because they tend to be more of a, a tropical type type of fish yeah, naturally. Exactly.
1: that's yeah, probably
0: exactly. kind. Of, I know they have them up in the uh, uh, hill country up by uh, yeah. Austin as well. I think they have some cichlids up there. But uh, yeah, correct they you know, do. Uh, Well, good. Well, we got to wrap it up here. We're out of time, but stick with me, Rob, because we're going to give away your book and some other things here. Your latest book, Fly Fishing Houston in Southeastern Texas, that we've been referencing all night. So if you don't win it, go buy it. Uh, We do have a link on the front, on the homepage of our website that will guide you to a place where you can purchase it. Uh, So check it out. And um, we're also going to give away that one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. So hang tight and uh, we'll be back in just about 30 seconds and we're going to be giving those prizes away. So do you travel to fish? Medical and security emergencies happen. When they do, you can rely on Global Rescue, the world's leading membership organization providing integrated medical, security, travel risk, and crisis response services to travelers worldwide. Without a Global Rescue membership, an emergency evacuation could cost you more than $100,000. That's why over 1 million members trust Global Rescue to get them home when the worst happens. Don't travel without Global Rescue. Memberships start at just $129. Learn more about Global Rescue's program. Just click on the Global Rescue icon in the footer of Ask About Fly Fishing. And uh, we also have it, I think, in the right column on the home page as well. So check it out and get insured for your next big fly fishing trip. Just a reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. And you can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of this show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Now it's time to give away our prizes. The winners for our drawings are randomly selected from a show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for the next show so you don't miss out on some of these great prizes that we have to give away. And we are going to do the drawing right now for Fly Fishers International, a one-year membership. Uh, To learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. Again, if you don't win, go join. It's a great organization to support. And let's see, i got my database ready to go here. And it looks like the winner for that is Scott Lorenz. Scott Lorenz in Colorado. So Scott. Enjoy your one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And um, our next drawing is for one-year membership to Trout Unlimited, and that will be Mark Telesha, Telesha in Pennsylvania, your old home stomping ground. There. <laughs> yeah. Right? No? That's true. You don't happen to know him, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So congrats to you two, gentlemen, uh, on winning your memberships there. And now we'll be giving away a copy of Rob's book, Fly Fishing Houston in Southeastern Texas. And uh, let me okay, get in the right place to do this. All right. Okay. So we've got – now the way you do this is you put in your answer along with your name and your location – in your email address on the homepage of our website in that form there. And the first person to submit the correct answer wins Rob's book. So the question is, what are the three types of GARs? What are the three types of GARs? Give me that answer, and you've got yourself a beautiful book from Rob McConnell. So. All right. takes them a minute to hear, because we've got a slight delay, Rob, before we actually hear the question. And then a lot of these people tie flies, I mean, answer questions about as fast as they tie flies. So uh, sometimes <laughs> it takes a while. <laughs> Just kidding, everybody. I'm sure most of you can tie them faster than I do. But as each year passes, uh, the flies get tied slower for some reason.
1: It seems like with all those
0: years of experience, it'd get better, but it doesn't.
1: Um well, more guide flies, I guess, need to be tied.
0: Yeah, guide flies, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's see here. Um, let's see, spotted gar, long nose gar, and alligator gar. Is that correct? Yep. That's
1: correct. That'll That's work? the three that you can catch in Houston. Yep.
0: In Houston. <laughs> okay. <So> Carl <laughs> Palmer in Rochester, New York. There you go. Looks like you have a road trip ahead of you, Carl. To use this book and <laughs> get down to the Houston area, but uh, and like we were, Rob and I were talking before the show. You know, a lot of times you fly to Houston to get to uh, some of the uh, Central American fisheries, so uh, you just book another couple days in there in between and uh, do some fishing and do a layover. So, anyway, yeah, congrats, great. Carl. Uh, Carl, um, just in that same form, give me your address so that we can give you a- Uh, know where to ship this book, and uh, we'll be all set. So send that over to me, and uh, I'll get you set up. So that was good. First one that answered got it correct, so uh, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Rob, hey, we really appreciate you being on the show with us, and uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you and learn about the Houston area and the fishing there. Again, it's another... My bucket list is so long, I, I've gone to four or five pages <laughs> now. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But next time it's I take a business trip Different areas there. all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. That, when I was staying, by the way, before I leave you, um, when I was staying downtown, I mean right down there by the convention center stuff, what bayou is going through there? I know I walked across it on a bridge. So
1: Yeah, you must have walked across the, the Buffalo Bayou, I'm guessing.
0: The Buffalo yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. so that's not the, it was, the great it, it one. It was a pretty big car.
1: waterway, pretty big muddy waterway. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't look yeah, at it too a, carefully, but yeah, okay, I'll have to take a cab a, bit, a little further south, it sounds like, to get some of those, uh, those carts. Uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah, hey, thanks so much. Thanks so much for being on the show tonight. We really appreciate it.
1: Thanks a lot for having me, Roger. It was a lot of fun.
0: Okay, great. Hopefully all of you have found the podcast archive on our website, if you haven't. Look for the link on the top-line menu. In that archive, you can search for many of our past shows, over 365 shows, I think. And uh, you can search by keywords like trout, tarpon, Madison River, and now we'll add a few more in there after tonight, car, and things like that. And uh, you'd be surprised at the shows you'll find and the information and what you'll learn from them. So check it out and uh, do some browsing, exploring there. On Our next our next broadcast will be April 5th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern time. On that show, I'll interview Tim Jacobs. And Tim's been on our show before. Uh, he's a fly tire that you'll see at most of the fly fishing shows. And uh, the topic for the show will be tactics for bass, panfish, pike, and other warm water species. So a nice compliment to the show tonight with, with Rob. Uh, we'll talk about more tactics that you could probably use in the Houston area. Uh, Tim is a guide and uh, FFI-certified casting instructor who fishes both the warm waters of the Midwest and the cold waters of the Rocky Mountains. He'll be sharing tactics, including rigs, techniques, and fly patterns that you can use to catch more bass, panfish, pike, and other warm water species. Join us and learn Tim's secrets to warm water fly fishing. Be sure to add this upcoming show to your calendar. Just click on that Add to Calendar link below Tim's picture on our homepage, and and you'll be all set. Uh, We'd like to thank Fly Fisher's... Out Unlimited, Town, Global Rescue, Gills Fly Fishing International, and Enrico Poblisi Flies for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.